chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ may be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks to us. Thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you are doing that right now as we sit in our homes and listening to your word read. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now, that you would open our eyes to the reality of your plans in this world. Please, as you do that, Father, would you help us to see and praise the Lord Jesus for all that he has done. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, plans matter to us, don't they? Plans matter. Having a a goal and then figuring out how we're going to get there is kind of how how most of us live life. Uh, Plans really matter. That's become even more obvious in the last few months, whether it's been the the government's plans for dealing with COVID-19 or family plans for homeschooling kids or personal plans for staying healthy and sane during lockdown. All everybody's talking about at the moment are plans. Uh, Plans matter to us and actually that's true whether or not we're in a pandemic. So uh, Rachel Jones, one of our members, writes in her book, Is This It?, that uh, most of us hate the idea that we're just drifting from day to day, week to week, year to year, with no real sense of direction. Uh, We want life to go somewhere, she says. Uh, But the question is, where? Where is life going? Uh, Maybe you're one of those people who envy others who seem to have a, a life plan. Uh, people who know where they want to go and, uh, and seem to be able to get there without really much effort at all. Uh, maybe you are one of those people, uh, but you're desperately trying to keep that plan on track. And always in the back of your mind wondering, is the plan going to work out? Is it going to be worth it in the end? Uh, plans matter to us. We all want to have one. We all uh, think we have one. We live our life according to plans. And so questions come into our minds like, have I got the right plan? Is my plan going to work out? What about that person over there? Is their plan better than mine? Should I change plan? Plans matter. 
And it's plans and questions like those that, that bring us to this letter to the Ephesians. Because in Ephesians, Paul, the author, wants us to see the, the only plan that really matters. He wants us to see the plan that, that should shape and challenge, the plan that should uh, direct and transform all of the plans that we make for our lives. You see, through his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wants us to see God's plan. He wants us to see that God has a plan, that history is heading somewhere, and that that means that life isn't random or chaotic or meaningless. It, it isn't without hope, but there is a plan, and we are part of that plan if we trust in Jesus who actually is the centre of God's plan. You see, God has this, this big plan, and it's all about Jesus. God's plan is all about Jesus. Some of you might know that in the original language, Paul begins this letter with one big sentence. It's kind of like he takes a big breath at verse 3, and then carries on speaking until verse 14. He begins with this mega sentence, and it's a sentence all about Christ. I wonder if you noticed how many times he mentions Christ in those verses. Just look at verse 1 with me. Uh, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful, in Christ Jesus. He goes on, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, you, you get the picture? Paul says the focus is on Christ. Eleven times in these first 14 verses, Christ is mentioned. And that's because he is the focus. The God's plan is all about him. That's made even clearer for us in verses 9 and 10. Just, just look there. He, that's God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's plan for the universe, his plan for the fullness of time, is to bring all things together, to unite all things under Christ. And so whilst there are all sorts of things that we don't really know at the moment, all sorts of things that we can't really plan for, because frankly we, well, we don't know what's going to happen next week, let alone next year, Paul says there is something that we can be absolutely certain of, certain of this morning, certain of this week. We can be certain that God has a plan and his plan is to unite all things under Christ, to bring all things together in him. How that works and what that will involve and what it means, well, that's really what we're going to unpack as we go through this letter of Ephesians. But for now we simply need to be reminded that God's plan is all about Jesus. That's what Paul wants us to see and, and understand in the opening of his letter. Because he knows that, that as our eyes are opened, as we see the reality of God's plan in Christ, well then, 
we begin to see how that completely changes and transforms our day-to-day lives. It as our eyes are, are open to God's plan, that we see that we are blessed in Jesus. More blessed than we can possibly imagine. And so God's plan is all about Jesus. And we are blessed in him. Just look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God's plan is all about Jesus, which obviously means that it, it's not all about me. I'm not the centre of the universe, and neither are you. Jesus is. Uh, but wonderfully, if we put our trust in him, if we have faith in him, or uh, then we are united to him. Uh, Paul describes it as being in Christ in this letter, doesn't he? And if we are in Christ, then he says we have every spiritual blessing in him. Uh, what are those blessings? Well, these verses are absolutely ram-packed, full of them, aren't they? And we're going to notice uh, just three as we go through. The first is that we have been adopted by the Father. We've been adopted by the Father. If you're a Christian this morning, that means you have been adopted by the God of the universe. He is your Father. Uh, that's one of those Bible truths that I think we're, we're familiar with, but we forget the significance of. So every day we pray, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, but so often we forget or, or don't really stop and think about what that actually means. What does it mean to be adopted by God? Uh, we'll look at verse 4 with me. Uh, verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, in the normal process of adoption, it's not usually the child who does the choosing, is it? It's not as if they, they line a bunch of potential parents up and then a child just gets to go and pick their favourite. No, no, it's the parents who take the initiative, the parents who do the choosing. And Paul says the same is true here. God chooses us. And he chooses us before the creation of the world. We heard that from Matt already this morning, haven't we? Before anything existed, existed, before the world came into being, God chose us as his children. And I know that's something that is pretty hard to get our heads around. It's hard to get our heads around partly because, well, the world works a bit differently. It doesn't really work how we're used to because, in general, we choose things depending on some sort of quality or ability in the thing or the person that we're choosing, don't we? So I remember still football matches on the school playground. The way football matches on the playground would work would be the two best footballers in the year would be the captains. Everyone else would line up on the school wall and then the captains would choose their teams depending on two very important criteria. Your footballing ability and whether you were one of their mates or not. That's how it worked, and that's pretty much how life continues, isn't it? 
We're chosen or, or not chosen, depending on our ability, whether we can do something well, and whether we know the right people, whether we're in the right crowd. Which means when it comes to God, well, I think we think that he works the same way. Often people think there's something that we must do or be able to do or, or some sort of group that we must be in if God is going to choose us, to have us part of his family. But that's not true. It can't be true because God chooses us before we have the chance to do or be anything. He chooses us before the creation of the world. And so rather than confuse us, this truth should reassure us. It should reassure us because it means that, that God's choosing is nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, God knows exactly what we're like. He knows our weakness. He knows our sin and rebellion against him. He knows that really we deserve his anger, not his adoption. And yet out of the overflow of his own love, out of his pleasure and will, he chooses to make us his children. He chooses us, verse 4, to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, God has chosen us to be part of his family. And his purpose in that is to make us into the family likeness, to make us like our older brother, Jesus. And so he although he chooses us in our sin, he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow in holiness, uh, to become blameless. We're going to think a lot more about what that means, what that involves as we go through the letter. But there's the first blessing. We are adopted by the Father, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own love for us. But that's not all. Because if we think about it, well, that, that first blessing should leave us with a big question. We've just said that by rights we deserve, God, deserve God's anger, not his adoption. And so the question that should raise is, well, how? How is that possible? How can a holy God say to sinful people like us, I'm going to make you one of my children? How is that possible? Oh, Paul answers that question with the second blessing, which is that we've been redeemed by the Son. Redemption is all to do with slavery and freedom. Uh, so in the Roman world, when Paul was writing this letter, slavery was a big part of society. People could be bought and sold as possessions. And if you were a slave, well, you didn't really have a choice but to obey your master. Uh, you probably would stay a slave for your whole life. That was unless someone decided to redeem you, to pay the price for your freedom. And so Paul says in verse 7, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Obviously, none of us are, are slaves to Rome or any other regime. But Paul is going to say later in the letter that all of us actually are slaves to sin. He says we are slaves to 
the world and its anti-God mindset. We're slaves to our, our own selfish and greedy desires. And we're slaves to Satan and the lies that he tells us. People are slaves, says Paul, whether you realise it or not. And that is why verse 7 is such wonderful news for us this morning. Because it says that in Christ we can be set free. Set free from slavery to sin. But remember, that freedom comes at a price. There's a cost to our freedom. And so what does it cost Jesus to set us free? We'll look at verse 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood. Our freedom has been bought with the blood of Christ. The price to set sinners like us free was Jesus' own life. That's what we've been thinking about over Easter weekend, wasn't it? Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. He gave his life to set us free. And again, later in Ephesians, we're going to see a lot more of what it means to live in the light of the freedom that's been bought for us by Christ. But if you look down at verse 13, you can see that this life, this freedom, well, it all begins by believing the gospel, believing the good news that Jesus has done what you could not do. He has paid the price to set you free. And as Paul says at the end of verse 7, that has nothing to do with our work or effort, but is the free gift of God that he gives us in accordance with the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. And so can I say that if you're watching this morning and you're someone that doesn't know that grace and freedom, that doesn't know the freedom that, that Jesus offers, well, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Do get in touch via our, our website. Do send us an email. We'd love to tell you more about these amazing blessings uh, that we can have in Christ. Oh, we've seen two of them, uh, that we've been adopted by the Father and we've been redeemed by the Son. And again, if we do know those things, if we do know those blessings, we might still have a question in the back of our minds. We might still be thinking, I know these things, they, they sound wonderful, they sound lovely, but how can I be sure? How can I know for sure that I've been redeemed? How, how can I know for sure that I really am one of God's children? And Paul's answer is our third blessing, which is that we've been sealed by the Spirit. Just look at verse 13 with me. Verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, one of my favourite Disney films that we've watched recently is Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story is a great film, and if you've seen it, you'll know that the main character, Woody, it goes through various periods of doubt in the film. He doubts who he is, he doubts who he belongs to, uh, he doubts whether anyone really loves him. Uh, and just at the moments where things are really dark and down for Woody, what he does is he, he tends to look at the bottom of his boot, uh, and at the bottom of his boot he sees Andy's name written there. 
And seeing Andy's name, seeing that mark, reminds Woody that he belongs to Andy. He's Andy's toy. And that means Andy loves him. And here Paul says that when we become Christians, when we hear and believe the gospel, when we trust in Jesus, well, God marks us with his seal, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit who reminds and reassures us that we are one of God's children. So Paul writes in another letter to the Romans that the Spirit we received brought about our adoption to sonship. By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit marks us as God's and reminds us of that fact. But then more than that, he acts as a sort of deposit. Just look again at verse 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, whose deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Spirit is like God's down payment, his guarantee that the best is yet to come. And that really should give us great assurance, particularly in these uncertain times. You see, one of the reasons that people are so worried and anxious at the moment is that they live as though this life is all there is. And when this life is all that you have, well, it's a really big deal, isn't it, if you can't go out and enjoy it. When this life is all you have, it really matters if you lose your job. When this life is all you have, it really matters if you get ill and die. And of course, those things are hard for all of, the, all of us. Of course, being a Christian doesn't make any of them easy. But Paul does want us to remember that, that the Spirit reminds us, shows us, that this life is not all there is. That the best is yet to come. And so we don't need to be, be overwhelmed or consumed by the worries of this world. Because we know that there is more to come. We know that God's future for us is secure. And so Paul says, remember what you have in Christ. Remember that he is the centre of God's plan and that in him you have every spiritual blessing. Remember those things and then praise God. Praise God. That, that's been his big emphasis throughout the passage, isn't it? He says it four times to the praise of his glory. He begins and ends this section with praise. Because as we said at the beginning, and as Paul is going to pray later on in chapter 1, his aim is that the eyes of our heart would be opened. Open to see the reality of God's plan in Christ. And that as our eyes are opened, our hearts would be filled with praise. Praise for the God who is in control of all things. The God who is bringing everything together in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are blessed in him. So we can praise God whatever circumstances we face. It's an amazing start to a letter, isn't it? Even more amazing when you remember that Paul is writing it from a prison cell. Uh, so let's pray 
that whatever we face this week, whatever we come across, whatever our struggles or joys, that we can say with Paul, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do want to praise you this morning. We want to praise you for your plans for this world in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that life is not out of control. Thank you that this world is not random or meaningless. Thank you that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. Father, would we remember these things today and this week and would we praise your name because of them. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing again now.